you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with a sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. Now, you'll still miss out on some things we think are a lot of fun and really important, like intergenerational community and and children's time where the kids look at you blankly and then smile, sort of. And you'll miss out on the treats after church and the coffee, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We are not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast so that if you're away from home or working or coaching your kid's soccer team or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just ask that you would keep an open mind and an open heart. And we're really serious about that open mind. Um, We think that you should think and maybe disagree with us and figure out what you think. But our sincere hope through it all is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So I also preached on Matthew 18 this week. Uh, The last episode of the podcast is Susan's take on the scripture. And this episode is my take on Chris Marshall. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Chris. And, um... First, we should say, sometimes we do process instead of content here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the process this Sunday was that at 7.15 in the morning, I called Susan because I was locked out of my house, my car, and my office. And Susan is the person in town who has my keys. And so I called Susan, who was in the middle of doing her own worship prep. Yep. And she came racing across town to bring me a key so that I could get in and, you know, put shoes on and go to work. And uh, and so everything felt a little bit rushed on Sunday morning. And so the sermon changed pretty dramatically between 8.15 and 10 o'clock. And yes. that sometimes happens sometimes because happens. I was basically still putting my hairpins in at 8.15. Well, and sometimes it happens because we say something and we get a reaction uh-huh. that we're not expecting. Right? And so we have to address it in and some way. To, and we have to figure out what how, how to say it better so that our intention either, is there. Either how to say it better or if we realize like, okay, you know, the second half of the sermon didn't really hit anything. Right. But the first half of the sermon people were really responsive to, like maybe we need to talk more about that. And so yeah. we'll change it. Yep. So happens um, all the time. So Sunday was a little crazy. And uh, I started off the sermon about a parable by telling a different parable. Of course. Story that everybody was pretty familiar with. So uh, Peter Rollins is one of my very favorite dudes. He yeah. is mm-hmm. an Irish postmodern philosopher and theologian. He calls himself a pyro theologian, and he has a book of parables that he's written called The Orthodox Heretic yep. and Other Impossible Tales. Yes. I highly recommend it to everybody I talk to because it's thought-provoking. Even mm-hmm. if you're not on with Peter's uh, theology. Peter Rollins' theology, it's a conversation starter. Right. And so every chapter, they're very brief, there's a one or two page story, and then there's a two or three page description of why he wrote the story and what the theological idea is behind it. One of his stories, uh, he actually writes two parables that are takes on the prodigal Mm -hmm. in the book of Luke. Right. Right. And the prodigal is one of those stories that like has invaded. Yeah. Even if you're not churchy, you might know the prodigal Prodigal son story. And so, and it's in art and it's in all the places. So, um, so this is one of his takes on the prodigal parable, which Mm -hmm. I use to describe the unmerciful servant parable. So it's called the unrepentant son. Okay. And it's about 
you know, it's the same story. It's it's an older man mm-hmm. who has two sons mm-hmm. and he's, you know, spent his life working hard, accumulating wealth. And his younger son decides, you know, he's pretty impetuous and he wants to go off and do his own thing. And so he asks his dad for his part of the inheritance, which is the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. <laughs> right. But he asks his dad for his part of the inheritance. And then he goes away to a far land and he spends it having a great time in the worst way. <laughs> and he gets pretty dire after a while because he runs out of money. And when he runs out of money, he has to take a job feeding the pigs. And so he doesn't have a place to sleep. He doesn't have an adequate diet. And he's so desperate that he ends up supplementing his own diet by what he's feeding, feeding the pigs. pigs. And at some point, he sits down and he says, you know, uh, this is not ideal. <laughs> and <laughs> This isn't really working for me. This isn't really working for me. And even my dad's servants eat better than this. Yeah. And so... If I went home right now, my dad might be mad at me, but he also might take pity on me and hire me as a hired hand. And if he hires me as a hired hand, then at least I'll eat. Right. So he goes home. When he's still a long way off, his father sees him and tells all the servants, kill the fatted calf, bring me the finest robe, bring mm-hmm. me the, the most expensive ring. Right. And he, he dresses his son and he embraces him. He says, my son was dead and he's, he's alive again. He was, he was lost and now he's, oh, he's found, found. And, and, he, and he hugs him and he kisses him and he throws him a big party. Right. Now, so that, that's the traditional... No, this is, this well, is still this, the Peter Rollins story. This, this is well, but this all is the like, Peter like Rollins this, story leading up to here. But and that's then, very similar to what... This is when it diverges from the gospel. Because in the gospel, what then happens is the older brother throws a snit fit. We get focused on the older brother and not the younger brother. And in Peter Rollins' story, what ends up happening is uh, they go to the party. And then after the party, the youngest son goes to his room and weeps with sorrow and repentance for Mm. what he's done. Mm. So that's the the twist. Mm -hmm. And Peter Rollins' point is that you know, we often think that in order to forgive somebody for something, they have to express that they are sorry, that Mm. they are repentant for it. And he's saying, but that doesn't seem to be the story. Like the story is that the son experiences forgiveness and therefore he feels free to be able to actually experience sorrow and repentance that he is able to then say, oh my gosh, this has caused harm. Right. But that it wasn't judgment that got him there. Right. That it was forgiveness that got him there. Right. And so we uh, we talked a little bit about a, that's, that. I think that I think that a lot of people's story, when they look at it, that's actually how they've lived their how their experience of forgiveness has been. Right. Right. And and we forgiveness is such a popular concept. We use it all the time. We use forgiveness as a weapon sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you have to forgive me because you say you're a Christian. Right. In fact, this is why a lot of people end up staying in cycles of domestic abuse right. because they're. Abuser says, well, you have to forgive me. Uh, I made a mistake and you have to forgive me. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you have to forgive me. And so um, sometimes we see forgiveness used as a weapon. We certainly see it used in the political world. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's the calculation where a bunch of aides will gather around a a politician and say, okay, what is the cost and benefit analysis of if we admit that we made a mistake Mm -hmm. and say we're sorry versus if we don't admit that we made a mistake. Like those conversations Mm -hmm. happen a lot. lot. And what we find is that when people admit that they've made a mistake and ask for forgiveness, their popularity goes up. Right. We found that that's true with businesses as well. You know, you have uh, an oil rig that you know is unsafe, that's transporting tons of oil that gets hit with, I don't know, a leaf and falls Falls apart. apart. And 
the oil goes all over right. some huge body of water and has this you know huge, huge environmental environmental impact. cost and economic cost and the company says oh we're really sorry and here's what we're going to do to fix it and it's nothing right but the public still goes oh look they're trying to they they've admitted they made a mistake and we're going to forgive yeah. them for that and their popularity goes up right and so, you know, you see it used as a tool mm-hmm. and it becomes what you were sort of talking about last week, which is transactional. Right. What do I get out of it? In right. order to say that I'm sorry or to ask for forgiveness or to offer forgiveness, I have to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I sort of thought that, you know, there were conditions on forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, that there were four things that you had to do in mm-hmm. order to be forgiven. Uh, you had to show that you were sad <laughs> because if you just said, I'm sorry, and it didn't look like you felt it, then it didn't count. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you'd get in trouble for sass as well as everything else. <laughs> so you had to say you were sorry, sorry and you had to show, but you had to show that you were sad mm-hmm. about it. Like if you didn't have the tear tracks on your face, then you probably weren't actually sorry. Mm-hmm. So you had to feel bad. We love to whip people into feeling bad. You had to feel bad. You had to turn away from whatever you'd done. Yep. You had to promise never to do it again. Mm-hmm. And you had to be willing to suffer penance. Mm. You had to be willing to take your punishment. punishment. And if you could do all four of those things, then you would be forgiven. Mm. But I like the story that Peter Rollins tells because it shows us that forgiveness is not actually something that is dependent on our doing the right thing in order right. to earn it. That forgiveness is the, is the given. In fact, the quote on the front of the bulletin this week was, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, forgiveness is about just not holding on to things in the past that cause you harm. Right. In AA, they define it as giving up all hope for a better past. Ooh, that's a great line. And then a great line, giving up all hope for a better past. In other words, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to be the same in the future. You just but recognize nice, that you, you can't, can't change, change it. Whether somebody hurt you or you hurt somebody else, mm-hmm. you can't change it. And so why are you still holding on to that? Um, you start you start from where you are. So I love that that in this Peter Rollins story, you know, forgiveness is not dependent on repentance, but that sometimes forgiveness frees us so that we can right. do the do the rethinking that we need to do in order to move forward in a healthier way. Well, and when you think about it, oftentimes the aesthetic experience of the divine that people describe really happens in these kinds of circumstances where they're where they where they realize they're forgiven even if they haven't figured out what they did, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, you know, does that make sense? Like, or where they haven't quite figured out what are going to be the problems for what their behavior has been. They realize that, but they realize they're they're beloved, right? Which and is how the opposite that changes of their life. Which is the opposite of the fights that we sometimes get into that are like, I'm sorry. Well, what are you sorry for? And you don't like list off all the right things, mm-hmm. like all the right things that the other person thinks that you did. But it's like this big secret that you have to break the code in order to understand. It's like, no, it, forgiveness is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to be good enough for it. You don't have to earn it. Like right. you, you, It just is. And then that gives you permission to choose how you want to go forward. And if you want to keep shooting yourself in the foot, you can. Right. But who you're hurting is yourself. Right. Um, or you can choose to do something different. And so we talked a little bit about forgiveness. And um, in the 80s, scientists started studying forgiveness. Mm. And they started studying forgiveness because they realized it had psychological effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what they discovered was it also has physical effects. Mm, yeah. uh, and so there was this really great study that I actually didn't write down the name of the study. But it was in a like a Reader's Digest article or something. Yeah. 
And it was about these people in the Netherlands who mm-hmm. were being interviewed about times when they had offered forgiveness or been forgiven, and then other times where they had not offered forgiveness or had not been extended forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And they measured their jump. Oh, okay. And so what they discovered was the people who had just talked about moments of forgiveness mm-hmm. jumped on average three and a half inches higher than the people who... So like literally weighed down. Like they were literally weighed down huh. by the story. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That that forgiveness has physical effects on it, us as well. And so like one of the reasons to forgive is just because it, it actually... If you, if you can't do it because it's the right thing to do for somebody else, do, do it, it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't let yourself be weighed down by that kind of baggage, that it's actually healthier um, to find ways to let go. And we sort of talked about in the last podcast, if you can't do it emotionally, do it decisionally really? until right. the emotional part of it comes. Yeah. Um, preach well, faith until you have it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. It's a practice that builds community. I mean, can you imagine living in a world with no forgiveness? Like everybody just keeps ta- uh, tabs, tabs on each other's mistakes all the time like we would never we would never hang out with anybody else right you see such an isolated experience yeah that we act, forgiveness is a tool that we have been given so that we can live together yeah uh, and actually be in community because there's so many things that we need from each other mm-hmm. uh, and that we need for each other so practice it's a practice that builds community it's empowering mm-hmm. when you forgive you are choosing not to be a victim right uh, you're choosing not to be defined by the ways that you've been hurt you're choosing uh, sometimes to forgive yourself, yeah, you know, to let yourself off the hook. Some of the reasons that we have for holding things against other people is that we don't really believe that we're ever going to be forgiven ourselves. Yeah, and so we don't want to, you know, end up on the wrong side of the scale. Right. So as long as as long as I feel like I'm going to be judged, I'm judging you. Yeah, and, and that gets us into some really weird cycles. Right. And so to just to accept the agency that you have to let go. Yeah. To be the bigger person. Do it for self-righteousness sake, <laughs> for no other reason, but do it because it is empowering to say, I am, I have some agency in this process. Yeah. There were so many stories that I read about people whose children had been killed or whose spouses had been killed uh, with weapons or in mm-hmm. accident, car accidents, mm-hmm. who found that forgiving the perpetrator, the, the other person mm-hmm. who had killed that person was empowering was a way of not letting um, not letting themselves experience not just grief but also the curdling of their soul by wanting vengeance yeah, right like yeah. to let go of that well and this is at the core of restorative justice work exactly right that that that, that the idea that is not that we have justice and vengeance we need to punish people, people but that we need to find ways for folks to actually enter into right relationship right and to 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 find ways to let go of things that are holding holding us captive right i tell people you know that heaven that jesus talks about like the afterlife heaven he always describes it as a feast Mm. and you know he says there's seating arrangements and so i just sort of every once in a while i think like who's going to be sitting at the table with me that i have beef with Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need to work out before I get there? Because it, it's a lot easier to work out now. <laughs> There's a pastor who was describing cleaning the carpet, the entryway carpet of her house. Mm. And she'd let it go for months and months and months. And it was really weighing on her mind. And so 
to procrastinate from writing her sermon, she decided to clean mm-hmm. the carpet, which is what we do. Yes, totally. So she cleaned the carpet and she realized while she was cleaning the carpet that she can't blame it on anybody else. Right. Her cat stays inside and her mom only goes outside once a week. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really, it was just her dirt that she was tracking in, but she'd let it go for so long that it had weighed on her mind and weighed yeah. on her mind. And she had this sinking sense of shame the longer she let it go. And how much easier it would be to just take care of it early mm-hmm. and to not hold on to it at all. Because then you don't train yourself to hold on to it. Right. Right. And so that, you know, forgiving early and often early. Is, actually has some benefits for you. Yeah. And then the last um, the last thing, well, there's a couple more things. Uh, <laughs> they discovered that um, primates, after they have a fight, mm-hmm. offer signs of what they interpret as forgiveness. forgiveness. And so... Like Bonobo monkeys. We love the Bonobo monkeys. Yes. When they have a confrontation or a conflict, afterwards they will embrace or kiss. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Totally interesting. Uh, they will show friendly signs towards each other. And so they thought, well, is this just primates? So they studied uh, goats and dogs <laughs> and hyenas and like hyenas. hyenas. We get a bad rap because of the Lion King. But hyenas, hyenas forgive. All of these species offer signs of friendliness after there has been a fight. Huh. You see it at the dog park when the dogs get into a scuffle and then one of the other one of the dogs will walk over and lick the other dog's face. Yeah. It's a sign of submission, but it's also just something friendly that yeah. they do. Um, there is only one mammal in all their studies, only one mammal that does not forgive. Can you guess who that would be? Well, it's not the elephant. It is not the elephant. Somebody guessed elephant and they were wrong. I have no idea. What else, what is it? Cats do not forgive. <laughs> This is true because the summer after I graduated from high school, I lived with my friend's family Uh and I slept in the bed where the cat usually slept. Oh no. And the, and I was, I'm allergic, so I couldn't have the cat sleep on my bed. Mm -hmm. And so literally like four years later, I walk into their house and the cat leaves by the back door Yeah, every time. Okay. So I told this story at 815. And somebody jumped up and was like, I have a story about that. And immediately starts telling me the cat won't forgive me story from nine years ago. And it was, it was Paula. And so Paula (laughs) tells me the story about like when her friend went out of town and she was cat sitting and the cat hated her because she wasn't her mom. You're not my mom. And so Paula says it's nine years later. And when she walks into the room, the cat hisses and leaves. (laughs) just like nine years but at at 10 o'clock i said cats don't forgive everybody started laughing and then heads started tilting like oh oh like that explains that everybody has a story about a cat who won't forgive them so cats are the only mammals that don't forgive they found that people who identify as spiritual Mm -hmm. are more forgiving of themselves oh than people who identify as religious oh interesting that religious people are more forgiving of other people and less forgiving of themselves, themselves. spiritual people are more forgiving of themselves and less forgiving of other people. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Which one of those would you rather be? Yeah, right? Okay. I want to be both. I won't make you answer that. And then another good reason to forgive is not just because, well, if a a dog can do it, then so can I. It's not just because it has health benefits. It's because sometimes you're wrong about what happened. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you just don't actually understand the conflict that you have invented in your mind. And so Mm. I told a story from a guy in our conference whose name is Larry Patton. He's a retired pastor. And uh, he's got white hair and a white beard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he used to be really sort of fit, thin kind of guy. And he's expanded a little in his his older age. Sorry, Larry, if you're listening. I don't think he does. But if he does, yeah, I adore Larry. He's fantastic. (laughs) And he, he told this story on Facebook. It was a public 
post. Oh, so nice. I figured okay. it was okay. And he said, um, he was standing around the other day and a kid comes up to him and asked him if he was Santa. Oh, uh-huh. And immediately he starts grumbling in his mind, right? Like, are you asking me that because I'm fat? Are you asking me that because I'm old? Are you asking me that because of my beard? Like, but being a good pastor, he says, what makes you say that? And the kid says, because you have a nice smile. Aww. And he said, man, how typical of us that we think the worst. We do think the worst, that we're cynical and mm-hmm. chock full of self-criticism. And then some kid or some other wonderful, thoughtful person stumbles into our life for a moment and declares a truth. And they don't tell us what's wrong or dumb or insulting. They tell us how nice we are. Yeah. And he says, you know, I don't believe in random acts of kindness, but I do believe in intentional ones. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, yeah, Larry, like sometimes we have totally projected onto a situation what we think is happening and we don't actually understand it. I had an experience like this where one of my friend's kids kept asking me why my dog didn't have a dad. Right. Why doesn't your dog have a dad? Why doesn't squirrel have a dad? Where's squirrel's dad? Where's squirrel's dad? And I thought this was a judgment on me for being single. single. And so like, you know, I'm trying to... Do the whole, like, well, how do you explain a broken home? And how do you explain this to these kids? And eventually their mom said, I don't think that's what that's about. I don't think I don't think they think you need a man. Like, I don't think that's what that's about. And she asked them, why do you ask? And they say, well, every kid needs a mom and a dad. <laughs> it wasn't about me at all. It was totally about their perception of, like, like squirrel just, just squirrel needs a, a, a male figure to look up to. She's growing. <laughs> She's a growing dog. And I just thought it was so funny. Like, sometimes we don't actually yeah. understand what's being said. Exactly. And, and, and we, we're asking the question. We, we're we're we hearing can be, the question as we would propose it versus. Yeah. And, and, our and we can be sensitive and defensive and about whatever our insecurities are. And it's it's easier to just just let it go. It's easier to just let it go. And so I encourage you <laughs> for no other reason than maybe you don't know the whole picture. Right. To let it go. And so uh, we talked about John Wesley and his practice as a young man of keeping track of all of his sins. Mm. And I sort of thought like, you know, if, if you're like me or like John Wesley, you might not have a physical list, but you do have a mental list going yeah. of all the things you've ever done wrong. And maybe, maybe we think, I don't know, when we get to heaven, we can hand God the log book and say, look, you can't tell me anything I don't already know. <laughs> you know, like it's a defensive mechanism or something. I, I think it's just, we're sort of wired. Sometimes we're wired to hold things um, more tightly than we should. Yeah. And maybe it's like some caveman security thing mm-hmm. that we still have going off in our heads, but it's not useful. And so John Wesley used to keep track of all of the times that his mind would wander and all the times that he would have a negative thought about somebody or about himself. And he would write all this stuff down and eventually he realized that that wasn't going to work, but it wasn't until he He was was, really at a low point in his life. Yeah. I mean, it was a long time. It was a, it was, you know, over decades. Yeah. And it was at a low point in his life when he wasn't particularly seeking forgiveness because he sort of thought he was trying to do everything right and things just weren't working out for him that he experienced what he called assurance, which mm-hmm. is what we call forgiveness. And and it, the assurance was that it wasn't just good news for other people, that it was also good news for him. And he yeah. said, I, I understood that that my sins, even mine, mine, had been forgiven. You know, sometimes it's not a response to something that we've done to get God to forgive us, but it's just that we are forgiven. And what do we do with that? You yeah. know, we have to forgive. And and it doesn't mean it's an easy thing. It doesn't mean we use it as a weapon. 
but it's something that we're called to do and it's, it's a hard thing and we can do hard things. Yeah. Um, so we talked about, about forgiveness, about how it's not conditional, about how it's not calculable, about how it's just, it's a state of being rather than like going around telling everybody, well, you have offended me in these six ways. And so I've forgiven you for five of them. Like, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not, we're keeping the logbook. It's not transactional. It's you're just, 70, you're at 76. You better be careful. It's the way we live together. Yeah. And it's the only way we can live together. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're having a hard time this week, if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody else, if you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, Self. I would encourage you to realize that you actually have the power to unlock the door and let yourself out. Yep. It's a Bart image, actually. Uh, yeah. Carl Bart, which is spelled Barth. Right. Um, Carl Bart talked about how you know we're all in prison and god has already unlocked the door but we're the ones who stay in prison yeah. <laughs> we're the ones who decide we didn't check we're not checking we the haven't door. earned our way out yet and we could just walk out the door and so i encourage you to walk out the door yeah to let yourself off the hook to let other people off the hook to have some grace uh, because i'm not sure that the other way is gonna serve anybody at all nope i'm pretty sure it's not So that was the sermon. Thank you. So thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. If you have questions for us, or maybe you have conversations, you've you've been thinking about forgiveness and have some stories that you want to share with us or some conversational starters, we'd love to hear from you. So you can find us at, uh, you can email us at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Sunday Morning Sleep-In. You can find us at sundaymorningsleepin.com where you might find some links to some of the the studies that Chris mentioned Mm -hmm. um, so that you can read them yourself and maybe maybe have some thoughts on them. But our scripture for this podcast was Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jasper. It's traditional at the end of a worship service for the priest to deliver a blessing to the congregation, some wise words that make everyone just a little bit holier. But here's the deal. There are no magic words. The cell is already unlocked. All you got to do is walk out of it. You have been blessed. The God of all creation who invented forgiveness so we don't kill each other, who invented (laughs) gravity to keep us grounded and blackberries and children's laughter to make us sore, thought the world needed one of you too. The question is, what do you think about forgiveness? How will you love? How will you listen? How will you serve? How will you seek justice? How will you let it go? Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving. <laughs>